Around the NFL Podcast. It's French fries in milkshakes. From the Chris Wessling Podcast Studio, it's Around the NFL. Van Hans is here with some heroes. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler, Week 12, Sunday Night Flagship Show. Listen, everybody knows... You don't even have to count the games until you get past Thanksgiving. And that's when it starts to matter in professional football. And now here we are back after this. I mean, uh, there's a lot of teams that would be excited if that was true. The Bears are undefeated by that uh, method. <laughs> so are my Jets. So I like to think that anything that I did that annoyed anyone um, on the home front or beyond before Thanksgiving is Doesn't also count. No, so it's that, wiped off for the, the whole year just right. in the season. Yeah. My entire lifetime up until this <laughs> just, it's until all purged. Now, and I've been I I saw them for 5 minutes this morning and I it was pristine behavior on my part. So. <laughs> um and of course that sentiment doesn't really uh hold a ton of water but it also comes from like the Belichicks and the Parcells of the world who've been well, around there's something it. to it. And it makes some sense, right? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to get yeah. to. Like, I was, like, there is something to it because this is when you separate. The, the pretenders fall away now when you get into December. Um, but then again, every season's a beautiful flower. And this is a strange little sucker, this flower. So I feel like we don't have any real answers at all entering December. So, you know, it's all coming together in this real time. This flower is like... Remember that Gregor Mendel would like to toy around with like plant and flower DNA to create mad things. That that's what this is. You know, essentially a Gregor Mendel season. I'm gonna pretend I get the ref and be like, okay. I totally agree. Eric I'm with gets you. it. I know. Are, are you aware of the Gregor Gregor Mendel? Oh yeah, Mendel Gregor Mendel. Take I, yes, yeah. All right, we'll look it up. Good take. Good take. It's All a really right. good one. That's. Talk about a good take. <laughs> Greg is ready to shoot me with an arrow. Like, I don't seem impressed with what And I'm there's also with. another uh, little element going on here. The the Brownies, Mark's favorite team, uh, and Mark's passion for his favorite sports team really is unlike anything any of us have ever seen before. And they're playing as we tape right now. So we, you know, there's a lot cooking, emotional. I know you, you like to keep it. Like the surf on the surface, it's not something that's churning within you, but we know it is. And if you want to kind of get anything out there before we get going on the games, maybe some, uh, some, uh, what do they call that? The third rail, what, what to avoid, anything to make this more pleasant for you and us. I, I like as our a group. efficient approach. We started on time, which is, um, highly unusual for, uh, for us. But on top of it, there is a, um, a high octane BTS, uh, concert, a boy band from South Korea operating at SoFi right now. So right. we're going to have to get out of here in the minute this ends. Um, we've annoyed Chris Rose uh, uh, highly once again because he wanted to watch the Browns with us. And with we you. explain all that. Um, but I, it's just like a pull me back into the Browns scene. This is like the third act of a Paul Thomas Anderson movie where there's all these different things happening at the same time and they're all connected. Mm. And it's there's just a lot of energy in the air and a lot of it is chaotic. That's right. All yeah, right, exactly my Emika and, and my daughter Alice are at the show too. That that that's like a little story that might be tracking. We might be tracking. And then you know when um, I don't even know a single member of BTS, so I can't even name drop here. When he like shoots up through the riser and the smoke machine comes out, and then your daughter looks to the, her right and it's just the empty seat where you should have been. And then she turns well, back he, and she says, oh. and she's like, oh, well, then all of his listeners would have missed out on that trenchant <laughs> Falcons Jags analysis. What a day for Patterson. <laughs> Where is my daddy? 
Is Daddy ever coming home? Let's get into the games. No, that's good. That's good parent work by you and Emma. Getting the BTS tickets in a big spot. Very nice. At the oh, yeah. height of their popularity. Getting inside that building. Yeah. Is it the right? work? We don't know. We just, Who knows? We don't know. They're, they're a tremendously popular pop group. Let's get going. <laughs> Let's start at Lambeau Field, where BTS is not performing. And here's the snap. Stafford, tight pocket. Hit as he throws left side. Yes! Intercepted. Down yes! the right sidelines. Douglas <laughs> to the house. High stepping. Touchdown. Green Bay. And a third quarter dagger. It's 36 to 17. In all our years doing this, and since we introduced the local radio caller calls, still my favorite trope is the second banana just screaming out in exultation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like straight up a fan. I will like, be hurt too. I have no idea that I'm getting paid to be in the booth right now. I'm just excited that my favorite team did something good. That I, individual usually there is some alcohol involved, I believe, or something. <laughs> well, in the seventies, maybe. Well, or the, the good old days. 20s. Or that one booth uh, where the <laughs> the uh, service woman yeah. climbed in and there was a full bar, apparently. That was a weird story. <laughs> Still weird. That was in Baltimore. Yes. They got in Sandusky's booth in a big spot. Don't do that. Larry McCarron, that was, I believe, yelling, yeah, with Wayne Larravee, WTMJ. Razul Douglas picked off Matthew Stafford, took it all the way. His pick six was the key play in the second half for the Packers who beat the Rams 36-28 in a battle between two Super Bowl or bust squads. Mm. Interesting game here. Matthew Stafford threw three touchdown passes, including long strikes to Van Jefferson and Odell Beckham, uh, which kind of got him back in the game a little bit in the fourth quarter. But it was an imperfect game for the veteran quarterback whose health issues were a big storyline entering the game. As for the Packers, gentlemen, their own veteran quarterback – Aaron Rodgers looked far less than 100% healthy by the end of this game. He's limping around on that COVID toe. But all the Packers do with Matt LaFleur in the regular season is win. They're 9-3, and three and they stay a step behind the idle cards in the NFC. This Packers team's impressive. Just We don't need to go through the laundry list of injuries that they've had, that they've overcome, the guys who are coming back. like That's just part of their story, and they don't let it sidetrack them at all. And they they've got something... You, you can't totally quantify it. And I, I think that's something that the Rams, having put this team together, and, and it's not like this is a brand new team. They have a lot of pieces that have been there and won a lot of games. But Stafford, and now you add OBJ to the mix, you lose a team captain and Robert Woods, specifically Stafford missing a lot of throws, looking a little banged up. Like You can't just create that instant familiarity and chemistry on offense. It's an offensive league. And the fact that their offense was inferior to the Packers' offense in this spot, like in this week, is not a good sign for them you know, down the line. Yeah, I thought they were one of the more desperate teams coming out of their bye week, just the way that they spoke about their own, you know, what had happened before the break. And this, uh, I left with more concerns. It starts with Matthew Stafford looking just simply not healthy on any level. The defense allowed Green Bay to pile up 40 yards of possession time. And the better team won. There's just no question. If they played 10 times, I'd say Green Bay takes eight of them. Whoa. I thought, yeah, I thought that Green Bay for a game that was a little jagged and there wasn't like a ton of flow to it, but it still felt like the Packers really in control uh, the entire way. And that Douglas interception and the run back pretty much cinched it. And, you know, Stafford could have thrown more than the uh, I team. By the way, that's pick sixes in three straight games for Stafford now. Also lost the fumble, so another tournament. Lost the fumble. Um, They were unable to get their running game going. Um, 
you know, they had the splash plays to Jefferson and Beckham, but other than that, it was, you know, not just not a lot cooking. It just feels like Los Angeles is out of sorts. And, you know, how desperate can a team be when you're going into a game seven and three? But at the same time, now you when you put these back-to-back-to-back games together where you just don't look good and you don't look cohesive, and yes, now we're turning the calendar over to December. I think there is legitimate cause for concern that you're trying to operate like some type of chemistry experiment on the fly here. And it's there's no promise it's going to work out. Green Bay at the same time is a team that knows who they are. They know their personnel. Their coaching staff is intact. They know their personnel and how to run the best version of what the team does best. It's just two different teams right now. And they're heading into their bye week too, which they have to be thrilled to get in there at nine and three through these two games. And the chemistry, it's not just Stafford. It's their defense too. You know, their defense has been mediocre this year. And when they've been in big spots, I don't think they've particularly impressed. They're not terrible. They're just not like a difference making group. And everyone wants to say, oh, Stafford's hurt. And that, that's a big factor. And maybe it is, but I, I just feel like the Stafford we've seen this year is the Stafford. We've seen in Detroit, too, which is there's ups, there's downs. Like, he's not Aaron Rodgers. He he will never be Aaron Rodgers. Being on Sean McVay's team doesn't make him Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? Like, or peak Brady or whatever. To me, he's a little bit of an erratic quarterback, and I think you've saw, seen that the last yeah, I think though, weeks. our first couple months of Stafford, or let's say first, you know, five, six weeks, suggested that maybe we were getting a different version inside an offense that was ready to go. I see one weakness on Green Bay. Um it is Mason Crosby. I understand that he's, you know, a, a dyed-in-the-wool fan favorite to some degree. I'm not sure he's a fan favorite right now. I mean, at one point, they basically said from <laughs> the gray. LA 38, we have got to punt the ball because cause Crosby, we don't trust the guy. I mean, he leads the league in missed kicks. That If they get into a tight one, I don't they don't trust him right I think now. It, it, he's an example, Crosby, of why relationships matter because I think we know it's on record that he's very close with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that he's been there forever, he's built up a lot of goodwill, but you wonder at what point has he used up that goodwill? Can you trust him when it really counts? And I'm looking at it like uh, on the Rams side of the ball, you know, the Von Miller uh, trade, it's still too early to put any grade on that, but he had one quarterback hit in this game, and the other hit he had on the quarterback resulted in a 15-yard penalty. Uh, Aaron Donald was quiet in this game. He had one quarterback hit. Uh, we didn't see a game-changing play from Jalen Ramsey, but that doesn't always obviously tell the story with a cornerback. But at the same time, it's like when they needed someone to step up and make a play and turn the tide of a season that's all of a sudden getting a little bit away from them, nobody was there to do it. So I, I think there's a lot of reason. There's reason to be frustrated and concerned with the Rams, and if you're the Packers or a Packers fan, you love it. And it's like keep winning because they are 5-0 and at home, and they just look so tough to beat in that building uh, this year. It really feels like the one seed's going to come down to Arizona and Green Bay. And Green Bay, as we know, has the tiebreaker over the Cardinals. This game specifically is going to make it a lot tougher for the Rams to win that division, much less get the one seed. Green Bay does have the Ravens, Browns, and Vikings down the stretch after their bye Mm. final five games. It's not a cinch, but you just trust them. All right. We were starting to trust the Indianapolis Colts after a uh, killer run, uh, but... Beating Tom Brady and the Bucks. Oh, that's a whole different machine. Or Here's the snap. Brady animal has the ball off, running to the left. He's born it inside the twenty. Machine, Stiff that's an the twenty. Animal. On his feet to the fifteen, ten, five, three, two, one. That's what I touchdown, Leonard Fournette. Touchdown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Whoa, is that the dagger? I hope so. With twenty seconds left. I mean, how dare I you know, ramble over Gene Deckerhoff? W F U S. 
Lenny Fournette broke the tie with a 28-yard scoring run with 20 seconds to play. It lifted the Bucks to a 38-31 come-from-behind win over the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. It was the fourth touchdown of the game for Fournette, who, by the way, if you watch the Bucks week after week since Brady got there, Lenny's a big part of what they do on offense, and he's he's always at the center of things. It seems, even though he's not necessarily the most, you know, what was the old West saying that he was like a ship that had to change direction. Battleship Fournette, that, right? Like it's, you know, it's not going <laughs> to yeah, happen it, gracefully. It, or it was quickly. like a battleship trying to yeah, turn and around. I in think the middle even of the though sea. Fournette has now forged a successful NFL career, I still kind of agree with Wes's take back in the day. He doesn't move like as nimbly as a he's a, a better a big player time running now, back. Though. He's a different player, in a better place, but. Everything is set up well for him now, and he is succeeding. So the difference in this game, though, was turnovers. Uh, India had five of them, four, and then a uh, desperation heave for an INT on the last play of the game. And then Brady, doing what Brady does, uh, made Indy pay for those first turnovers, turned them into points each time. And uh, this was a game that turned on one play. The Colts played excellent football in the first half. I mean, I'm watching the Colts in the first half, and I'm watching Carson Wentz, and I'm thinking to myself, like, is this 27 Carson 2017 Carson Wentz on the 2021 Colts and if it is paired with Jonathan Taylor and these defensive players and the the coaching like what is the ceiling of this team they're up 10 points at the half they get the ball to start the third quarter they had first and 10 at the Tampa Bay 20 they have a chance to go up 17 mm. in the third quarter and then Mark's boy Shaquille Barrett surges around, sacks Wentz, strips him of the ball, recovers the ball at the 35. Six plays later, Fournette scored on a four-yard run, and that started the comeback and thought it was really impressive uh, what the Bucks were able to do on the road to get the, the game-changing play and then just turn it into a snowball situation. Now, they go ahead, and then they the, finally the Colts uh, give the ball to Jonathan Taylor. They went a large swath of this game, not giving it to Taylor, if you'd believe that. He ties the game up with a touchdown in the fourth quarter, but they couldn't stop Brady on the final drive, ending with that four-net touchdown. So a nice, fun uh, back-and-forth game, but the Colts are going to kill themselves when they watch this tape because they, if they don't turn the ball over like that, mm. there's no way they lose. Well, and Antoine Winfield Jr., said that that was their focus and their mindset all week. They had to take the ball away from from the Colts to reverse what Indy did to Buffalo. And a takeaway I have is that the Colts watched everything the Bills had done on defense and said, we are fearless. We're going to run the ball nonstop against that defense. But they they saw something different with the Bucks. And Arians, after the game, basically said, anyone that tries to run on us is going to hit a wall at some point real quick and have to shift what they do. A couple other notes. Like, I thought Gronkowski has... He is looking as good as he has in years. He's a huge part of this offense. And Leonard Fournette, Next Gen Stats points out, 17 rushes, faces zero stacked boxes. I understand you don't stack the box against Leonard Fournette, but he burned him for that. He burned him for that. They didn't adjust on how well he was playing down the stretch. I When I, t- when I look at Gronk, I, I use the Frankenstein, Frankenstein scale to kind of gauge like how he's moving, where he's at in his career physically, injury-wise. Uh, one is, you know, peak Gronk, like Patriots era Gronk oh, before one. all the surgeries. Okay. Okay. Ten is like the guy at the end of last year, or I mean, I should say, 20, when was he really 2018. slow? 2018 Gronk, where he's basically full on Frankenstein, like rumbling through A Godzilla's, yeah. uh, go, rumbling through Dracula's where castle. he's clinching the Super Bowl looking like uh, Frankenstein, uh, his uh, last play as a Patriot. So where he is right now is uh, four. 
And that's great. You want to be low as you can get on the Frankenstein scale. Uh, he's so key to what they do as well. They they just have another team that has a very defined offense, Greg, and they know what the, they're doing every week. And th- they're so different with Gronk. Like the last two weeks, he's been the key to it. I hate those like on-off splits when it comes to the NFL. Like Baker when Odell's not there, or Baker when he is there. It's like, but look at this Bucks offense this year when Gronk is there and when it's not. The the great games are all with Gronk. I think this was kind of an important win for the Bucks to come back from ten down on the road against a quality team because I've been so brainwashed by Brady and Belichick over the year that like every team is different. Every team has its own personality, its own. Uh, story and you have to sort of build from scratch. And if you look at this Bucks season, they haven't had games like this. In the in they haven't had comeback wins. They they in tough spots they kind of crumbled more than not. Like the Patriots had a chance to win that game late. The Saints certainly did it. They couldn't pull it off against Washington. They haven't had a game like this uh, where it was back and forth and they showed some toughness and they won in a different kind of way. So I think that's big. Had they lost, I think we're talking about the Brady interceptions. He has nine on the year. He has six over his last four games. There's been mistakes. You know, without Antonio, talk about splits. Without Antonio Brown, he's not the same player either, Hmm. but Gronk has helped that a lot. Um, Interesting, uh, and Frank Reich was getting some guff on uh, social media for this. Like he'll ever know. Um, they, th- well, they did ask him about it. They, they Well, Jonathan Taylor, who's been the best running back on the planet for two months now, uh, went from, I believe it was six-minute mark of the second quarter to the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter without getting a touch. 22 or 23 straight plays, <laughs> something like that. The 23rd and was an interception. Bailed on it. They bailed on And it. it's not, it's no coincidence that that's right, that window is right when the Bucks got back into the game and took over. And it was almost like somebody tapped right on the shoulder and was like, hey, bud, give it to Jonathan Taylor, touchdown. And what does he do? He, on that, in the drive where they tied it th- at 31 all in the fourth quarter, they gave it to him eight times for 58 yards on one possession, culminating <laughs> in the touchdown. I think there's something that Reich learned from that. You I don't think, know. Going After forward. the game, Reich is so stubborn. He said, based on like the looks they were giving, we should have thrown it even more. Like that he had, right. no, had no regrets about it in that. Like that was what it called for. A lot of it was RPOs where, you know, Wentz looks at how many guys are in the box and chooses to pass. But I don't know. I'm with you. You can't you can't go away from him that long. Doesn't matter what's and going on. Wentz, I'm, and you look at the box score, he finished with two interceptions. Once was one was a desperation heave at the end. Uh the other was a, a great play by Antoine Winfield on a jump ball to Michael Pittman. You'll do one on one your best wide receiver against the safety all day, every day. Uh, and Winfield just made a great play. So I think Wentz is playing really well. But even with Wentz playing well, Jonathan Taylor's got to be the man. So That Wentz t- touchdown shot to Ashton Doolin, like his arm is fine. He That was in one of the better throws of the day. Um, all right. So the Bucks move to 8-3. and three. The Colts fall to 6-6. Six and six. Uh, The Titans have a chance to put the division to bed. Speaking of the Titans... Hit it, Ricky. Jones is back in the pocket. Throws down the middle. Caught by Bourne. Running room to the outside Ooh. as he carries to the 30. Oh, nice he's down the sideline. It's what 15. Away from a defender. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Bourne to run after the catch. Touchdown, Patriots. What a move by Bourne. <laughs> oh, no. This to your point. This guy's back. Oh, no. I thought we were set on the Zolak no, front for like five on, years. Nothing on the Patriots front are you set on or are we set on. <laughs> It's all coming back. 
Control your excitement. I'm not. I'm just telling you reality. Bob Sochi and Scott Zolak with the call for WBZ. Mac Jones threw two touchdown passes, both to Kendrick Bourne. And the New England defense forced four turnovers. And the Patriots' sixth straight win, rolling past the injury-plagued Titans. 36-13. Ravens got to be dying. Greggy, I thought, you know, New England caught another opponent at the right time. Obviously, the Titans are a mess. But you get the feeling that they can give any team hell right now. They can because in the second half of these games, it's like they get this downhill momentum where it just feels, it does feel very old school Patriots like where they are going to figure things out in the first half of the game. And in the second half, they are going to roll. And part of that is the physical nature of both of their lines, which uh, offensively started to control it in the second half. Defensively, they did not trust Ryan Tannehill. The Titans didn't to drop back and pass, and for good reason. He had 93 yards on, on 21 attempts. Uh, the Titans ran for 270 yards in this game. Their offense moved the ball great. It was a lot about turnovers. did not feel like the Patriots were that much of a better team until the fourth quarter, uh, but they, they managed to force all their turnovers like they have in recent weeks, and they just feel like... They, they're they that old-school Patriots idea that they have so many different ways that they can win, that, like, which is the way that they need to in this game? And in this game, it was, like, getting big-time production from Myers and Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne is their number one receiver this year in terms of production. And it just reminds me how last year they just had, they had no one that would make plays for them. Like, the coaches get a lot of credit for the Patriots, but it's like, Ramon J. Stevenson made plays today. Bourne made plays. Jonu Smith made a couple plays. Like, where it had nothing to do with the play call. It's just like they were better than the guys across from them. And they have way more of those guys this year, so they have answers. I mean, no Derrick Henry, no Julio Jones, no A.J. Brown, five fumbles, three turnovers. That's eight turnovers in two weeks. Like, the Titans team on the field over the last, you know, fortnight needed to essentially coach perfectly, play perfectly, execute perfectly, and the opposites happened. Right, and then, and yet you, I watched this, and it was sixteen thirteen at halftime, and you felt like, I don't know, like they were they were doing about perfect in the first half, but they had to play this game in such a way that it was like we know we're not as good as the Patriots. We're gonna try to just ground up uh, rushing yards. The Patriots were kind of allowing them, almost uh, daring them to, which was interesting. Uh, they played like light boxes the whole game, and the Titans pulled it off for a half, but they couldn't for the whole. And game. I know it's it's on the Titans side of things there is a temptation to just go with the narrative. Well, this is exposing Ryan Tannehill. He is a good quarterback, but he's not great. And when you put him in a situation like this, he's going to fail you. But I'm looking at their wide receivers. This is who he was passing to today. Nick Westbrook. What is that again? Akina. Akina. Cody Hollister. Des Fitzpatrick. Michael Pruitt. Jeff Swaim. Anthony Ferkser. I mean, this is going to be – if you're going against the Patriots defense, which is playing as well as any defense in the league, yeah, you almost had no chance. I mean, that's why I locked up the Pats here because even though the Titans came in 8-3, and three, it just felt like they were – there was no way they were going to move the ball. No, that's – who gets the oh, sad I think, horn? I think maybe, Ricky, did you lock the opposite? I did, yeah. That so was that, me. That what, was about you. So like, why you you only think about you at all times? Like, Probably, yeah. yeah. I, I locked up the Patriots, and you locked up the Titans so the Patriots would win. So you right. don't really get the yeah, sad I horn. You, right, yeah, I get the winning horn, but I'm, I'm a professional, you know, so the locks, <laughs> I did lose my lock again. <laughs> all right. I'm glad we worked that all out. But you're happy with the outcome of our lock-off. 
Yeah, it was it was a fun, it was a fantastic showing by the Patriots. But if Derrick Henry was there, this they wouldn't have stand a chance, stood a chance. Uh, well, yeah, right. Dude, they still they, they had two hundred and seventy yards. Well, the the defense was great, but not with the run against the run. I mean, you had like Hillard, like no. My point off is, if, stuff from I know if Dontrell Hill, Hilliard has. 131 yards and a 68-yard right. touchdown. Well, that's what Derrick Henry maybe would have done in this game, but there's still... Foreman goes for 109. They had two over 100. It, it, it was a strategy, and I don't think it worked the way exactly that they wanted, but the outcome kind of ended that way, which was like, you can run and spend all day like going on these long drives. We kind of don't trust Tannehill to finish it off. I think, Dan, your point, though, they don't have a, they don't have a target with more than... A- 25 yards. I mean, he's playing with a week three preseason roster. They've, set the, they've set the NFL record for the most players used in a season. It is week 12. That is an out. And I know that because of the IR rules that sort of bends it to the last couple of years that you're going to use more players with the practice squad. That doesn't matter. They've set the NFL record for the most players used, which is essentially the most injuries in the history of the NFL. And it's week 12. They, they, they have done an incredible job getting to this point. And all those wins they stacked up before are going to come in handy because a lot of these players are coming back for Tennessee. Graver, and yes, that's the way. That's the way to look at this, Graver. But I mean, how fortunate are, are you, and how relieved are you that the Colts found a way to lose that game today? Because if the Colts beat the Bucks paired with this, it'd be panic on the streets of Nashville. Yeah, it would be bad. I think that was a much needed loss for the Colts from a Titans perspective. It still seems like the South AFC South is the Titans' division to take. They just have to. Come back, get healthy over the bye They're week. They're up three with five to go if you count the tiebreaker as a game. They right. have to completely like collapse, fold, collapse. and have a bomb dropped on them. Against the Jaguars and the Texans again, and the Steelers and the Niners and the Dolphins. I feel like the Titans, depending mm. on how healthy they are after the bye, should be able to win three of those five games. All right, it sounds like you're in a good place, Justin, and uh, I'm happy for you, but I, you know, from a podcast perspective, sure. you know, a crestfallen grave digger would have been fun, too. All right. <laughs> and on the Patriots side, before we move on and get shook in here, uh, listen, I'm all for the reality that the Patriots uh, could be a team that makes a deep run in the playoffs, but I just need to see it. I just need to see these next three games, what happens. At Bills, at Colts, home Bills. Give me two wins there, or don't give them to me. I don't want them. <laughs> but win two of those games, and I'm on board with the rest of the world that this is a, the dynasty reborn. I mean, but I'm I not don't there think yet. the rest of the world is saying that. I think the rest of the world is just recognizing they lead the NFL in point differential right now. And right. But I, I think it's absolutely fair to point out still that their best win, like, you know, they haven't beaten a team that's like above average in DVOA this year other than the Browns. That's about it. Well, you know, I, the, I would just, uh, you don't, let's just disconnect from the previous dynasty and just say right. they don't have an Achilles heel at the moment. They, they seem very balanced. They're getting better by the week. They're getting great play from a rookie quarterback, and their defense is nasty. I agree with all that. And now I just want to see it happen against premium opponents. You will. Let's talk in two weeks. Exactly. Week. All right. Three weeks. Let's take a break and then talk to Nick Shook. You get this stop on fourth down. The 49ers win the game. Cousins back on fourth down. Has time. Throws. Jefferson incomplete. The 49ers take over on downs. They stop the Vikings twice in a row on fourth down. The 49ers will win their third in a row. Oh, bongo time. Greg Papa with the call. Ken, KNBR. San Francisco got the big stop. 
in the fourth quarter. Debo Samuel ran for two touchdowns before leaving with an injury. And Elijah Mitchell ran for 133 yards and a score, leading the Niners to a 34-26 win over the Vikings at the Big Bell Bottom. This is uh, Nick Shook now joining us. Shooky, this was a game two uh, 500 teams that are very intriguing 500 teams in a wide-open conference and it was the Niners who looked like the team that will continue a surge while you come out of this game wondering about the Vikings, especially after Dalvin Cook is carted off with a shoulder. Yeah, this game very much played like a game you would expect between two teams with identical records and kind of on similar trajectories as of late. It was a close one. It was a hard-fought, chippy game. There were a lot of scuffles breaking out after you know the whistle. And it came down to the end. And the Vikings, who have become this aggressive, new-age, go-for-it-on-fourth-down team, for the first time, couldn't convert in those key situations, and that ultimately proved to be the difference. That and Mike Zimmer's stingy defense that we've come to know as one that, you know, can stand up against the test and get stops when it needs to to get them, could not do that, uh, especially late. They allowed the 49ers to grind away seven minutes of game clock in the fourth quarter while trailing by one possession, and then when they did get the ball back, they ultimately could not convert. They blew two opportunities in in 49ers territory to try to score the potential game-tying touchdown with a two-point conversion added in, and came up short by eight points, and, and, and the Vikings now have to kind of figure out what went wrong while the 49ers continue you know, this positive momentum going forward. The only question now, what's the status of Debo Samuel, who suffered an injury and did not return to that game, was seen on the sidelines with his helmet nowhere in sight, indicating that he was not going to come back. He is obviously crucial to their fortunes, has been for the last month, was again today with two rushing touchdowns. Can he return in time to help them keep going forward? Because what they proved today is if they can run the ball well, they're a really tough out, much like they were a few years ago. I, what I like about the Niners today is they, they didn't totally crumble when Debo went out. I mean, he was, he crossed 1,000 yards receiving for the year. He had 66 yards on the ground. You mentioned the two touchdowns. He's legitimately a running back. He had no receiving yards like, and, and before, minutes before his injury today. There was a swing here. This game was 14-7 to where the Niners came to life with a pair of drives that went 87 yards over eight minutes, 85, and then they got a Kirk Cousins who threw his third interception of the year. He's been great on that front through a terrible one in the third quarter that gave the Niners the ball at the two. And so you had a 21 point swing for the Niners over four minutes from before halftime into the third quarter. And this game did not start the way that previous Niners games have during their hot streak, where they start with these long drives. They morphed into that down the stretch. They let, they, they had their biggest output on the ground with like 208 yards rushing and so it gives you faith in the fact that the Niners can continue to be what they are. The Debo Samuel thing is huge. The Vikings, I think Vikings fans have to be annoyed by two things. There's a, this was a, a Minnesota game, so there's 208 plot points. But Adam Thielen, I thought, absolutely made a critical catch that, they, that the Vikings essentially challenged. Did not, they, it was called incomplete on the challenge. They lost that timeout. Then they lost another timeout when Kirk Cousins... You know, uh, this is going to go crazy on on social media, but lined up under guard and, you know, they had like the running back comes up to try to move them over. And so they suddenly had no ability to control the clock. And the Niners took that away from them as well. There was also a Kawan Williams defense on third down, a huge third down that was not called P.I. that I thought was P.I. I just think if you're a Vikings fan, it's another one of those down moments where you're looking at a couple plays and going insane in your mind. I think this yeah, is I, a game. I, I think this is a game that... Um, Outcome aside, one team's six and five, the other one's now five and six. I feel like a lot's going to go back 
to the MRI exams tomorrow. I have developing news on this front. Uh, this just came over uh, from Tom Tom Braha. Rap sheet. Dalva Cook suffered a shoulder dislocation. See, that's why he was writhing on the ground. They're probably popping that sucker back into place. Suffered a shoulder dislocation. We'll have an MRI Monday to determine the damage caused. So Cook is as valuable to his team, in my opinion, as Debo is to the Niners. And Debo will have his own MRI on Monday uh, because I don't know. You know, you could make case for either of these teams, Greg, making a big run Um uh, if they got hot at the right time. But if you take either of those guys out of it, you get very – you kind of mm. have to pull it back a little bit. Agree or disagree? I agree, especially with Debo Samuel. I think they could survive without Cook for a few weeks. Alexander Madison, like their running game survived. At, you would need him back at some point. You just need both these teams to make it, I think, if you want maximum playoff enjoyment. I have to say, if I had to pick a six and a seven seed in the NFL of like – What's going to be the craziest NFC? I want Vikings Niners. Yeah, I like that. I'm with you. Well, the, the Niners are the team of Sestiel. I've waited until now. A lot of the tension in the newsroom really today. Dan was there. The, you know, the team of Zeus TL a little late. Was there. It's a little late, but if I, you want it. Late. It's on my clock. Well, it's interesting. You actually picked <laughs> them to, to win the Super Bowl before the season. Yeah, you you pump your fist. Correct. Literally four weeks ago, you took them off and you said they were no longer even a playoff team on your midseason. And he locked against them in a you know season on the line game two weeks ago. But now I'm back. The problem is when you make so many different predictions, Mark, that we have to hold you to them all. So it does it does water down your product. Feel any problem with anything? I feel fine. It also felt like it was like a a regression game for Kirk Cousins. ESPN has uh, numbers. (laughs) ESPN stats and info says he had Nick's watching the Browns game. Look. Seven off-target passes, the highest that he's had all, all season, including two on fourth down. So it's like Cousins have been playing great and Shook, maybe just struggling. I was going to ask you, Shook, do you pause the Browns game for this or do you – No. No, you no. keep it rolling. This is all real time. Like, they just got a first down. This is all real time. All right. You know, we take, we're breaking the fourth wall here by admitting this. But, yeah, I'm, I'm totally looking to my left while you guys are arguing. You know, I'm listening. Browns, I'm obviously in tune here, but I'm also paying attention right. to what's happening. Well, in, in honor of Shook – uh, if anybody else has a f- another comment on this game, why don't we move along now uh, to what went ha- what went down? I should say, in Cincinnati, bloodbath, slaughter, short drop, throws, and it is Pick intercepted. Running it, it, it back Hilton to the house. Eyes darting the back touchdown. and forth. <laughs> Mike Hilton against his former team intercepted. No judgment zone. pass and runs it into the end zone. Cincinnati is embarrassing Pittsburgh so far today. Oh, how long have the people of West Ohio waited to hear a comment like that? Cincinnati is embarrassing Pittsburgh. Dan Horde, Dave Lapham with the call, WCKY. Mike Hilton in- intercepted former teammate Ben Roethlisberger, took it to the house to pick six, put Cincinnati up by four touchdowns in the second quarter en route to a 41-10 win. That blowout followed a double-digit Bengals win over Pittsburgh in September, making it Cincinnati's first season sweep of the Steelers since 2009. Mark, this is the type of game that makes you think you're watching the end of one era and the beginning of another in the division. Bingo. Ben Roethlisberger, really, I mean, he, he... He 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 looked like he's looked. He looked against the Bengals when they played earlier this year. That was the game in which he threw a four-yard interception to Logan Wilson. He had two picks today. Um, their offense <laughs> regressed back to this group that we saw earlier in the season, which was 
uh, dump it off for three, four yards because we can't trust anything else at that middle or deep part of the field. I mean, it, it, that is who the Steelers are when when things aren't really going well. They, they can't run the ball effectively. They can't stop the run. And credit goes to Cincinnati. They, they made an, an emphatic statement with this win. I mean, they didn't need Joe Burrow to be great, but he was still solid. They rode Joe Mixon to another big game, 28 carries for 165 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, this was a big win for the Bengals and the fact that they proved that they can do it on both sides of the ball. And like you said, the change of one, you know, maybe the passing of a torch or one team going down Mm. the hill and the other one coming up the hill Uh, right now. I mean, they're three and one in the division. I never would have expected this out of these Bengals, especially after they got blown out by the Browns a few weeks ago. They've really used that bye week and replicated uh, last week's performance of this one to prove that, hey, look, we we figured out some of our problems and we know what our strengths are. And when we ride them, we can beat most anybody. Their last two games against Baltimore more in Pittsburgh. They've outscored them 82 to 27. 31 points in the first half was most ever by a Bengals team against the Steelers, and they played a billion games. I think this version of Cincinnati that we saw today could beat anyone in the conference. I'm not saying you're going to get that every week, but the questions about them being a Jekyll and Hyde team are quieted at the moment. This version of the Steelers is a floating corpse because they're about six weeks away from having a massive burning question at quarterback. They were totally demoralized today. This game was over about 20 minutes in, thanks to Joe Mixon totally running through it all week long. It's They didn't have T.J. Watt last time. It's going to be a totally different result. It didn't matter at all. I mean, they thumped mm. them as hard as I've seen the Bengals thump a Steelers team in my entire life. I've never heard you speak with such excitement. Well, no, Mark, Mark was <laughs> so excited. I, I, in the newsroom watching this game, he was loving Big Ben taking a dirt nap. It's almost like the Bengals are, I don't know, they're like the surrogates for the Browns right now. If the Browns can't do it, they should smack down the Steelers. I have no hard the, feelings Steelers. against the Bengals. Okay. And I think, Shook, I mean, would you agree that of the three teams in the division outside of Cleveland, like they've been kind of like, your dance par- our dance partners as Browns fans in, you know, in hor- horrid play, but today was quite a revelation. The Steelers, Tomlin, you know, he said we're not going to concoct any excuses. This was a butt-kicking. He also said that some changes are coming. I don't think it's going to be a quarterback, but they are. I don't know. Well, see, that, they, this is part of the problem is that they never actually built themselves a legitimate safety net at quarterback. So I think they are, as Mark put it, of uh, the equivalent of a floating corpse in the AFC because, you know. Floating down. They're three rivers, right down the three rivers. In three parts. Oh, they, they've been. They've cu- they've dissected them into three parts. They're each in one of the rivers. Are they weighed down in a, a bag with some chains and rocks at the bottom of the three rivers? That's next. Um, Shook, uh, is there anything that could save the Steelers season in your mind, or is this uh, are, are we playing out the string for the Steelers this season and ahead of those big changes? In your opinion, I mean, their defense always gives them a chance. Their defense. It's not the same defense, is, though, this year. They have a hardest schedule down the stretch. It, it gives them a chance, but they have to figure out how to stop the run, and they haven't been able to do that. They weren't able to do that today. I mean, I, I think personnel-wise, for the most part, I would still trust that they'll be competitive. But if they can't do much offensively, which they haven't done in recent weeks, I mean, except for that explosion in Sunday night, you know, last week where, you know, they came back from behind and nearly won the game. Um, if they can't get consistent play out of that group and the defense isn't as good as we expect it to be, this is mm. they are what their record is. They're 5-5-1. Five, five, and one. They could easily be 
four, six and one or, or four and seven. It really, I mean, that's who they are. They're an average team and, and they're a team that has to start figuring out what they're going to do under center beyond this year. And, and I know there's still some games to play and, and knowing the franchise and the history and, and you know, the reputation, I wouldn't be surprised to see them pull out a few more wins, but I don't have high expectations for them because they, they basically are who they are in, in terms of record. A few more wins is maybe the high point. They, they, they on paper, are our best chance for a team to go 8-8-1, eight, eight, and one, but they have the Ravens, the Vikings, the Titans, the Chiefs, the Browns, and the Ravens. Ta- see you later. 8-8-1 mm. eight, eight, and one would save that Tomlin uh, has never had a losing streak uh, record. And uh, season, just want to yeah. say congrats to all the people holding those Bengals over six-and-a-half wins tickets. You got, you got paid in November. That's big. All right, let's close out our time with Shook with a trip to the Meadowlands. Hertz takes a shotgun snap. He's going to hand it off right for Scott. Scott fumbled the football, and it's recovered by Julian Love of the Giants. It got popped out from behind, and Love recovered it with 134 to go. Bob Papa with the call, WFAN. Yes, Giants defense was on point on Sunday. They intercepted Jalen Hurts three times, forced four turnovers total, including that one you heard there. And they held the Philly offense to a season low in points. Beating the error-prone Eagles 13 to seven, shook Eagles Twitter was particularly emotional <laughs> during and immediately following this game. Uh, what did Big Blue do to lead to this result in this outpouring of grief amongst <laughs> Eagles Nation? <laughs> They played stifling defense so much that it left Eagles fans questioning the abilities of Nick Sirianni to to actually uh, scheme up an offense that can get the ball to its playmakers because they didn't do that very often. Jalen Hurts had three interceptions thrown, and and his greatest strength became running. And and even in a close game, you know they needed to throw the ball late on two separate possessions, and uh, it didn't it didn't look very good. It didn't pan out in their favor uh, because of the Giants. You know it's weird because the Giants got blown out by the Buccaneers last week in prime time and and led to Jason Garrett's firing and everything else. But if you've watched them for the last few weeks, you've noticed that their defense is starting to come into shape kind of like it did last year before they, they fell apart down the stretch. Um, and and this was like the, the, the peak production of that group, you know, get, forcing four takeaways, a key fumble that we heard on that clip there. Uh, Darnay Holmes intercepting Jalen Hurts, Xavier McKinney, Tay Crowder, they're all getting interceptions. Um, and, and that was enough to really keep them in the game and hang on to this lead because, let's face it, the offense still has a long way to go. Freddie Kitchens in his first game as a play caller, you know, didn't ask too much of Daniel Jones, and I think it worked out in their favor. But, I mean, you didn't get a ton of production out of guys. You know, 13 carries for 40 yards and Saquon Barkley. That's not going to blow the doors off of anybody. But it was enough to win, and it was enough to avoid the errors that the Eagles couldn't avoid and that the Giants' defense was mm-hmm. able to capitalize on and end up with this close one. What about this uh, Jalen Rager? I saw his name pop up over and over and over <laughs> again. Uh, it sounds like he had a tough one. Seven targets, two catches. Uh, that, that we had two chances to win the game. That you know, as as bad of a game that Jalen Hurts had, y- yeah, you get y- he puts two balls in a spot where Rayer can make a play to win the ball game. At the end, one would have been a tough catch, but the second one, he should have caught it. And that's that's like that changes your season. That's a that's Nelson Aguilar dropping the ball type of stuff right there. That has been a disastrous pick, by the way, Rager. And by the way, taking one pick before Justin Jefferson. Imagine Jefferson on that Eagles team with uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, So you have the Giants offense still sub 300 yards. But like we saw last year, their defense has a chance to rise up every once in a while and beat a team. Does this, what do we, where does this leave us with the Eagles now? I mean, 
Are they just like any of these other teams, just up and down? Because they felt like they were building momentum, Shooky, and it uh, just floated away in the New Jersey air. Yeah, it's funny. I saw on the Fox pregame today um, that they did a little uh, – it was kind of like a, a parody or of, of like a, an alert. It was like, warning, NFC East fans, the Philadelphia Eagles are back. If you're a fan of the Giants, Cowboys, or Washington football team, you might be in danger. Well, you know what? I think you can put those concerns to bed because for as much excitement as we've gotten out of the Eagles in some of the games they've played this year, we're also reminded that there is still a team that has a ways to go, both in terms of roster construction and figuring out what their identity is because as they they proved today, they're not a consistently reliable team when it comes into situations like this and against better opponents. I don't know if they'll fare much better. I mean, this, if, if they're not playing the Giants, they might lose by two, three possessions. But because they're playing the Giants, it was still a close game that they had a chance to win and ultimately couldn't come through. This backs my theory that whenever um, a player or a player slash team are celebrated slash over-celebrated all week long, like done. We, we woke up with Jalen Hurts has answered questions at quarterback by Ian Rappaport. They're ready to roll with their three first-round picks and build around. I'm not saying that's not true. He's been great, but... Like Jonathan Taylor too, when it's just like endless hype parades, like invariably Sunday will underwhelm. I call it the uh, Jameis Winston corollary because I'll never forget the Week 16, a Saturday game where Ian reported that the Bucks are rolling forward with Jameis. He's shown enough, and then he threw like nine interceptions in the last two games, <laughs> including a walk-off pick six, and they went and signed Tom Brady, and the rest was history and shooky. Um, listen, you're the pipe. You delivered. With a hard blow to the uh, listeners. Nailed it. Okay. Thank right. you for joining and, us. And, and, and like James ah! in Tampa, I am also history. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. Get back to your game, buddy. Thank you for joining us. Let's take a break and then hit the rest of the Sunday games. Quick throw to Eckler. Deflected and intercepted. Pass your tan down the left sideline. This may be a house call. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Denver! 70 yards for Pat Sertan! I like that, Dave Logan. KOA house call. Rookie Patrick Sertan, the second. Picked off Justin Herbert twice. Returning the second one, 70 yards for a touchdown. That sparked the Broncos' 28-13 win over the charge. I mean, charges. What are we doing here? Very annoying. You go up there... After an emotional Sunday night win, and you lay this type of egg. Anyway, this win sets up a showdown for the AFC West lead next weekend in Kansas City, where the game has already been flexed to Sunday night. That's fun. Greg, Vic Faggio was working his warlock magic again. I I can't get a feel of this Broncos team. It is crazy for as many times as we've tried to bury them on this show that they're playing for the division lead, like you mentioned, on Sunday football in December. (laughs) And yet, I'm still not convinced they're like a great team, but they today showed what Fangio wanted when he took Sertan. Sertan's been a good pick. Mm -hmm. He'll always be compared to them passing on Justin Fields. It'll always be a bad process to me that they took him for Fangio's defense when Fangio's probably on the way out. But he's a really good starting cornerback, and their secondary was great today. But it was great in part because the Broncos got after Justin Herbert in this Chargers front uh, offensive line with just four, just four rushers. And this is like Jonathan Cooper, who's stepped up and been good, and Steven Weatherly, who they just signed off the scrap heap, and other guys like, you know, the— 
Kenny Young, who they traded for from L.A., like they're getting guys off the street and playing them on their defense, and the Chargers still can't protect in that situation, and they were flummoxed. It's been uh, a trend here. I think when the Chargers have played some strong defensive play callers that can scheme up some tricky looks in terms of coverage and, and pass rush, uh, what they did against Baltimore and New England and now Minnesota and now Fangio with a depleted Broncos team – the Chargers' offense has been pretty DOA in all of those games, which is disappointing. They have it. They in the, they open the second half with an eleven-play drive that ends in a missed field goal. The Chargers. Their next drive is thirteen plays, ends in an interception. Their next drive is a five-play drive that ends in an interception. Then they have a garbage-time touchdown. I, I I have to look at the Joe Lombardi experience on offense and feel like as 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 much as I love Brandon Staley and how much he gets involved in all sides of the of the football like it's just kind of not working and I loved what you said on Sky Greg that we're kind of conditioned to never blame um <laughs> We're, you're not going to blame Herbert for any of this. That's my rule. I, you know, I a, that's it, the number one rule of Herbert. Rule, um, but blame everyone else. He, he and he and Stafford threw pick sixes at almost the exact same time, which was not a great moment for LA um, <laughs> ites in general. But you don't do, do. Is there anything happening with Herbert that is culpable here? Well, that was a tip pass, although it was a little behind. Um, I mean, it was. It Spin was, it, baby. That the pick six was a drop pass. The first interception. Um, was on a gotta have it play, and it was it was a bad play by Herbert. I mean, but even earlier in that drive, thinking about like the fourth down crazy scramble, I really think when you watch the tape on him, it always ends up better than you think because he ends up making so many plays that were just all him. Uh, and like I said, the offensive line's been a mess. But you got you got to give Denver credit they 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 did the game plan against the Chargers that everyone's been doing against the Chiefs. It's like back up, make them drive these long drives, and they'll make a mistake by the end of it. Meanwhile, the Chargers run defense gave up a lot of yards again. Teddy had one of his more, um, I would say, memorable wins. Even though he finishes with 129 yards, he's limping around out there. He missed three or four drives, and his shin was hurt. Drew Locke came in and was a disaster, turned the ball over, and had a fumble. And then Teddy comes back after halftime and at least calmed things down and steered them to well, a win. they're right back where they started at quarterback. And the Chargers, you know, they start the season with four wins and, and five tries. Uh, but since then, they've lost four of six to the Ravens, to the Patriots, to the Vikings, to the Broncos. And they're kind of telling you who they are, which is uh, they have a lot of big-name talent, but they're kind of a middle-of-the-pack team. And I don't know if we're going to see them really ever rise up. I feel like this is kind of who they are now, right? Can't run, can't stop the run. Offensive line, I think, has problems. That, that That's like a, like a lot of things going against you where you need something great to overcome it. And I'm not sure what they have that's great other than Herbert you know, making some crazy plays. This Broncos team, though, they got some Keep fight. an eye on them. And now I'm like, okay, they're coming out of a bye. Maybe they're yeah, maybe I, But you know how you you want, like, the <laughs> Niners and you want various other teams to get into No one wants play. the Broncos. That, I mean, I that's – I can't – that's – I don't need to see that. I no. get it. Oh, yeah. They're, they are – I feel like they are maxing out, considering their injuries. I mean, they lost their left tackle today, who was already their backup. They're down to their fourth and fifth string – uh, tackles. They lost the starting guard today. They have been crushed by injuries. I think they are maxing out what they can do, but that might be eight and seven in the end. Right. Or nine and eight. They, they're going to be the, eight, the first ever nine and eight team and the most nine and eight team ever <laughs> assembled in professional football. Uh, but that might get them into the playoffs. They're an interesting team to keep an eye on, and they are set up with a big spotlight game next week. Let's uh, move on from Denver to Miami, where the Dolphins are back. 
Miami. Miami. Fires. Touchdown, Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Miami. The Panthers pay for the interception. Oh, the Alabama connection right there. Miami. Go perk up, guys. Jimmy is Cephalo. Cephalo? Cephalo. Yeah. Cephalo. The Ricky, Cephster. Hit me up with the, uh, in the copy uh, here with the, what are they called? The phonetic? Sure. You pronunciation. Right. Help me out with that one because I've been stumbling on that one for about seven years now. Yeah, sure. WQAM with the call. Jalen Waddle had nine catches for a season high, 137 yards and a touchdown. The Dolphins feast. Five sacks, three interceptions. Beat the Panthers 33 to 10. Mark, at the beginning of the month, the Dolphins were dead and buried at one and seven. Four wins later, it's the zombie Dolphins lurking on the periphery of the AFC playoff picture. They are lurking. I would, I would say the team they played looked more, um, had more zombie characteristics uh, throughout today. I mean, this was a game that if you're one of the Dolphins fans that are saying, I don't want them to go get another quarterback, I want to see Tua be given the full entree into you know four years of experience in Miami. I'm not sure that'll happen, but he was 27 for 31 today. Okay. They weren't all splash plays because that's Tua, but the connection with Waddle uh, was you know bordered on electric. I mean, Waddle showed you what he was today. He had 137 yards and a touchdown off nine grabs. That was their offense. Uh, they're, they're not a big run team. Um, their defense got the job done against Cam. I'll get to that in a second. They had a blocked punt that went for a touchdown. That's like when the Brian Flores Dolphins are doing it. You're getting a little thing from all sides of the ball. And that, that what happened, that's what happened today. They encountered um, a Cam Newton meltdown scenario. This mm. is a pretty amazing little nugget. Cam Newton went 5 for 21, um, and it looked like it. <laughs> is he that was, good? Well, it is horrendous. <laughs> It is horrendous, and it is the lowest um, completion percentage by a quarterback with 20-plus attempts since Joey Harrington did it. went 5-for-22 for the Lions in 2004. Should have went uh, with Joe Harrington. Would have had a better career. You might be right. Cam Newton, I'll give him this. Um, it, was, it was an ugly, ugly day. He did not um, mince words or make any excuses about the, you know, the parade of social media hype and the I'm back business. Ricky, let's hear what he said. This is the NFL. Yeah, nothing's promised. Just because Cam Newton's on your roster doesn't mean you're just yes, going to win. Just because person. it's a feel-good story doesn't mean you're going to win. Right? I'm, I'm well aware of that. Uh, one little thing, like, e- even early in the game, the Fox broadcast was asking, like, should P.J. Williams come in here? It looked that bad. I, I thought that would have been way premature. Matt Rule did bring him in down the stretch. I think they just wanted to pull Cam out of the fire to some degree. Um, and then said after the game, there's not going to be any change at quarterback. He probably took like three sacks in a row. Well, yeah. P- I think the thing is the P.J. Williams. P.J. Like, Walker, yeah. P.J. Walker, sorry. P.J. Walker is an ath- athletic, and he's sort of fun to watch, but he cannot escape killer mistakes. So you're going to go back to Cam. Uh, hey, why? I mean, Cam, it sounds like, and I'll watch this tomorrow, but it sounds like he was as miserable as can be. But you're in it with Cam now for the rest of the season. I don't think there's any way, unless he like, doubles up on this type of performance, which feels like unlikely, you're going to roll with Cam, who's still going to give you the best chance to win. But I, if you're the Panthers, and we'll give Dolphins you know, a little bit more love in a second, but if you're the Panthers, to kind of have all this buzz around you after Cam's first game, and now to lose back-to-back games, and this game especially, as ugly as it looked, I just don't, like, what direction is this organization heading right now as we're getting into the back end of the second year of the Matt Rule era? It's fair to ask, uh, because I'm not seeing a ton of progress here. They're floating, but I think losing Christian McCaffrey to a rolled-up ankle 
I mean, again with this guy. Offense. I know it, 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 he is injury prone, but yeah, they're floating and their defense was a no show today. That's the thing that you, you think that's going to be their strength. And it's two times in the last couple of weeks, the defense has been, you know, neutralized. I, I think Flores brings something to the table. You know, I had that theory where it's like five coaches matter because they're bad, five doesn't because they stink. But what you want is a coach that brings something to the table. And what I think Flores does is some sometimes in certain matchups, he really gives you an advantage. And this Panthers offensive line, which has been quietly miserable all season, especially like picking up stunts, blitzes, stuff like that. It, this was a terrible matchup for them today to have to play this Dolphins defense with a quarterback that's not totally prepared, uh, doesn't know the whole offense, and your offensive line had nothing to do. And like that's twice in the last three weeks where I think Flores has come to the table because I, I know Tua played well, but ultimately they had 315 yards on offense where Flores kind of won you a couple games here with your defensive game plan. He that's what you his, want. He's taken his butt out of the fryer. Flores with this run. I mean, you know, he's not going to tell you that uh, because he's the coach and it's, well, it's all about the team. You also get the hole they were in, too. But that's, you know, well, no, that's fair to say. But if they have a non-competitive season where they go 3-14, and 14, right. you could be in trouble. And at 1-7, and seven, they're ahead of that way. But now there's some juice. And now you get both New York teams coming up. We'll, we'll spin forward on later in the week. But they really do have a chance to make a run at the playoffs now. They need This was the big one. If you could beat the Panthers... Uh, a team that profiled as frisky and dangerous in that spot, you really do open things up. Giants, Jets, at Saints uh, the next Ooh, three weeks. So they are still 13th. They got a shot here. So they got to keep winning. They're 13th in the AFC. So there are a couple losses behind still, despite this winning. But but they're in the mid. I wanted to just quickly, before we go, give you a couple stats. Number one, Jalen Waddell over the last month, second in the NFL in receiving yards and receptions. Pretty cool good. player, dog. Uh, and two has played 16 starts now. So that's a nice little number that we understand. 3,500 passing yards, 6.8 yards per attempt, 27 touchdowns, 12 turnovers. Solid. It's good. Yep. Considering Greg, Greg again ignoring the 17-game schedule that is now part of our, uh, oh, our I life. hate that because so, I have always thought that, that that's, how you, that's how you evaluate Hall of Famers. That's how you evaluate players. 16-game chunks. I now think he now even, I'm all messed up. I think he even went down to 15 in the prior game. He said that there was going to be an 8-7 and seven finish to a season. Was that? that, that I, the math got messed up because I was like trying to do odd <laughs> numbers. All right. Let's get through this next game as quickly as possible. Atlanta at Jacksonville. Oh, boy. Here's Ryan on the near hash mark. Give is Patterson. Straight ahead. Touchdown, Cordero Patterson. I kid, Jaguars fans. That's what we do here. We give everybody some shine. West Durham with the call. WZGC. GC, good call. Cordero Patterson ran for a career high 108 yards and two touchdowns in his return from an ankle injury. The Falcons... Win for the first time in three weeks. 21-14 over the moribund Jacksonville Jaguars. Atlanta is now 5-6. and six. They finished with a season-high 149 yards on the ground. That's not that much. Uh, they're most since October 20. That's weird. Uh, Greg, what would you learn here? Uh, that Cordero Patterson matters. I guess I knew that already. But I don't know. Let's come up with an award to give this guy. 16 runs, 108 yards, two touchdowns. You know, like Debo Samuel, like he's really gone full transition to a running back. He had a couple touchdowns. I feel like I know the next gen stats, you know, could could 
check this, but I believe that 88% of the Falcons' yardage this year are Cordero Patterson off missed, off missed tackles. Dead on. Like, not even just normal plays. Just after he breaks a tackle, that was pretty much the offense. This will annoy Dan because Dan, I think, is, you know, waiting for the Falcons to – you know, vaporize it. No, they are. I already told you. This is they over. are. I, just, I stuck I a four. I'm going to stick a four in them too. It's not going to annoy me because they don't matter. They yeah. are right now tied with the precious Minnesota Vikings at five and Doesn't six. Doesn't matter. The final spot. But what stands out to me is they have the second worst point differential at a negative 103 points. Because they stink. In the NFC, I know they stink, but like... Stink, I'm trying to help you here. I have stinky teams get into the playoffs sometimes. Not they're, this one. They're not going to. They, they mean, I'm just <laughs> saying from where we stand today, I'm not predicting they And will, this game but. didn't make me feel better about them. This game, what it did make me feel is an appreciation... Uh, for the love I have for the Around the NFL listener. Because I missed the first half oh, of this yeah. game. Good I was I was on a I was on a flight back uh from a friend's wedding in Miami. The JetBlue had only the, the New York teams on the you know on the flight. So Miami. So late into the afternoon Where did you go? Uh Miami. <laughs> oh, okay. Late in the afternoon as the, the afternoon games are on <laughs> I'm trucking through 21 to 3. Let's see this uh, sure. Trevor Lawrence comeback. I want to see every play of this. Give me something. Try this Trevor Lawrence comeback just so I can give the listeners a little something. And, and I don't really have much other than <laughs> T-Law. You know, he had another chance to do something where you're yeah. like, oh, that's a moment because he did get the ball back. He had a nice touchdown drive before that. But then they go like four and out with two pretty bad throws. And he's just not super accurate. That's the thing that worries me a little bit. I think it's safe to say. And listen, this is. It's way too early to, to cast any final opinions on Trevor Lawrence, but given the hype and everything else, it's been a disappointing first year for him. It, and that's yeah. not just on him, but if you thought he was going to come into the league, even, you know, he's been compa- compared to Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, those guys came into the league, and even if they had uh, growing pains in that first year, they flashed. And we just haven't seen a ton of it from Trevor this year. Little spurts, though, but he is in a chaotic, uh, the worst landing. Absolutely. Spot. Absolutely. Yeah. But that the, the problem is that's not changing, at least in terms of the coaching staff. And that and that's, you know, that's part of the problem. I just thought this was going to be a spot when I picked this game, too. It's like, okay, maybe we have a nice Trevor Lawrence glow-up game against mm. this lousy Falcons. And he had like 110 yards going into the fourth quarter. All I'm right. a loser. That's absolutely right. <laughs> last, last but not least, Miami. We head to not Miami, Houston for the game of the day. Zach Wilson set to take the snap and does. It's a quarterback keeper. He Houston right, cuts it back to the left, dives for the goal line. He's in. That's a jet touchdown. All right, Bob was choosing on our show for the third time this year. Zach Wilson had more downs than ups in his return from a four-week injury layoff, but his four-yard touchdown scramble was pivotal in a 21-14 win for the Jets over the Texans, the favored Texans, in Houston. <laughs> By the way, the home teams... on your nerves. Ah, it was a little annoying. Um, the home teams went 7-3 and three this Sunday entering Uh-oh. SNF. FYI. The Texans, uh, you know, they were hoping to build on their upset of the Titans last week, and they're up 14-3 in this game. Uh, but then their offense just went to bed. Uh, Tyrod Taylor threw two touchdown passes in the second quarter, and that was it for the game. Uh, they had a chance Ooh. to tie it uh, late, but Bryce Hall, who's done pretty good work for the Jets in their second, secondary, knocked down a pass intended for Nico Collins on fourth and two to give New York the ball back. And then they did what they needed to do to wind down the clock, get the win. I thought Mike LaFleur, who's really had a nice month after a rocky start as OC, did something that is not easy to do. He had to coach 
around a rookie quarterback who is struggling and dig out of a double-digit deficit. I mean, you that's not usually uh, a Those needle. Clash. You can't thread that right. needle typically. But he did, and I guess when you're playing the Texans, uh, it helps as well because uh, Wilson was not good in this game, and uh, he appeared to aggravate that knee injury on a scramble in the second half, so he's not healthy still. Um, but he missed too much, too many throws, and you know I, I don't ha- I don't host a quarterback camp. I'm not a give me a, a QB guru, Greg. Um, you don't write QB index. I don't no. write. I'm not a Greg Rosie. <laughs> I'm not uh, JT O'Sullivan. I'm not a JT O'Sullivan. Jordan Palmer. I'm not a Jordan right. Palmer. Tom House. I'm not a Tom House. He's, he's a classic guy. Yeah, but I can great. tell you this that. The game is moving super fast for Zach Wilson, and you could see it. He had a really bad interception where he scrambled and sh- uh, threw a shovel pass into the back of his running back uh, that, of course, then ricochets off the back of the jersey and into the hands of the defender. It's just a classic moment of everything is moving too fast for him. Mm. If if Tom Brady has mastered the sport by everything slowing down, Zach Wilson is still on the other side of that spectrum where everything is moving at light speed, and you could just see it the way he moves. Um, so that's frustrating because you were hoping for progress, but again, uh, they did get a win, and... <laughs> I guess it is on in New York City. I mean, because of this alone, uh, there's a lot of things happening in New York, but this victory well, jazzed up the, the This is this is a fun fact. This is the first time the Jets and Giants won on the same day since 1986. Get the, you know, <laughs> ticker tape parade. <laughs> <laughs> and also, by the way, Justin Reed uh, was deactivated for disciplinary reasons. That, that, from this team that is all about, like, our, our culture, we're culture mavens. Like, that's the thir- first thing I read this morning, that Reed – essentially in a fight with um, Team Brass over something and becomes a free agent after this season, did not play today. Give me a break. Also one of their better players. Right. One of their uh, better these two players. teams combined for 468 yards, so they combined for you know a lot less than the Raiders had the other day. Don't think it's going to be number one in the game pass. Um, this one, if you're lucky, it will be in that like 31 to 33-minute <laughs> range, uh, the uh... – the quick game pass version. I'm glad, like the Jets, the I'm glad the Jets won, though, because I just feel like they've been better than the Texans this year. And and you're right. They, Texas they were, laying wood in that spot. Get off. Yeah, get off there's the just something like I just feel like that it's right. It's just right. I'll take the W. I don't care about draft standings. I don't give it. I don't give a hoot. I just I'll take the W. But I need the boy to play better. It's still not happening. All right. Now that takes us to Mark Sessler and highly emotionally charged Sunday night football affair against the team that was ripped from the belly of the Browns, as the man they call the Quiet Storm has said <laughs> after this. Oh, Sunday night. Jackson takes the snap. Pressure's coming. Cloudy almost got him. He's rolling back to the 35-yard line. Throws as he's hit. He throws to the end zone. Caught. Touchdown, Ravens, middle of the field of Mark Andrews, who came back to make the touchdown reception. It's a 13-yard touchdown officially, but it was about a 37-yard pass from Lamar Jackson. Yes, the hay in the barn for the Baltimore Ravens. And one of those classic rugged AFC North affairs, the Ravens hold off the Cleveland Browns 16-10. to at M&T Bank Stadium. And they win a game in which Lamar Jackson threw four interceptions, including three in a single quarter of play. Usually that's doomed. 
But it wasn't on this Sunday because the defense of Baltimore rose up and shut down the Cleveland Browns offense all night, especially on that final drive when the Browns needed to get down the field for seven. They could not produce a first down or even throw to the sticks there um, when it counted. Mark Sessler, uh, your Brownies fall to six and six. The Ravens move to eight and three and feel like they are in command of the AFC North. Yeah, I mean, I think if we had done our preview show on Thursday and, you know, the football gods had whispered in my ear before we discussed this game that Lamar would do what you just said, that he would throw four interceptions. And I I would tell you, I'll go to NFL research with that, and they'd come back and say that since 2015, QBs that do that, starters that throw four interceptions a game, are 0-37. Now they're 1-37. and It's because Cleveland could do very little with those gifts. I mean, I'm not sure what else you could ask this defense to have done. I mean, I felt the frustration that Jadavian Clowney felt um, that so many defenders feel chasing Lamar around and unable to close the deal, but they did in so many ways. I mean, the turnovers are the gifts that the Browns offense should have done something with. Here's what they, here's what they got off of that. Three points, a field goal, two punts, and the ball flickering out of Baker Mayfield's hands. Um, at a key moment that set the Ravens up. So this Browns offense um, looked broken against the Lions, uh, muddled, really weird play selection. Uh, I thought tonight they got too cute with that Jarvis Landry, um, you know, strip sack that was a a bit of a nightmare. And, you know, if the football gods had also told me, oh, by the way, along with those gifts, you're going to run for 40 yards at 2.4 yards per carry. You aren't going to have, outside of Jarvis Landry, anyone really helping out in the passing game. And Baker Mayfield, you know, I'm not saying that that last drive was um, a great situation for him, but that was another chance for Baker Mayfield to seal a game and do something in a big national spot, an island game, like you say, Dan, and they fizzled. And that's what their offense has been for, for weeks now, um, a fizzle operation. Yeah, I can't believe how bad this Browns offense is. I don't think Kevin Zavansky can believe it either, and that's why I think he call- keeps calling – passing plays in situations where Browns fans are like, why don't we just try to run the ball? It's because he's, he's looking at the numbers. He's seeing the way defenses are playing them. And the book says you, you do what the defense gives you. You know, you, you take what the defense gives you. And I think defenses, especially the Ravens tonight, are in, in a sense giving the Browns a pass, passing game. They're giving them one-on-one matchups. They were run blitzing all night. Now, they also, the Browns didn't run well when they tried to run. So that, that was a problem. Uh, but he's calling these pass plays, and they don't have a passing game right now that can overcome it, uh, even in a game like this where I still thought they had a chance there at the end. It was, it was that like ugly old AFC North game. I, I was hoping Baker could just give us a little entertainment at the end. Come on. You kept, you kept thinking that maybe they had something special uh, in the fourth quarter. They scored the touchdown on that hotly contested David Njoku catch, which is one of the more kind of borderline – uh, coin flip plays I can remember where it doesn't matter how much you slow it down. Um, you can't really discern whether that was a catch or not. And because they ruled it a catch on the field, it was the right move to keep it as a touchdown. That ended up being the only touchdown the Browns had. Justin Tucker and his brilliance, he takes care of all his opportunities and that ends up being the margin for victory. But Mark, I think, I mean, you've hit on it with the Browns and no one's tracking this team closer than you that we're now 12 games into the season and, you know, they've had some 
nice moments this year, a blowout of Cincinnati a couple weeks back. There have been other games that have been quality wins. You would define them as. But how many times now have they had a chance, an opportunity to do something special and really put their season on a different trajectory, and they just fall short? Uh, and I just wonder what they can do at this point to fix it. Is it, Are you too deep, deep into a season to find that type of DNA, or is there something really missing here? They're not they're not a team that's like well positioned to to battle from behind to start. Um, but t- to your question, like that is become their character trait and their character flaw. I mean, you could point to four or five games this year where you know had Baker Mayfield been Joe Montana late eighties, their record would be vastly different. And I, I'm not putting it all on Baker Mayfield. I think systemically, uh, the loss of Odell Beckham, like from a production numbers standpoint, doesn't look too big. But I think the way the defenses would treat the Browns' wide receiver group and their tight end group in general has changed a lot. Like, I, I see a group of wideouts that, that can't separate or get open. I mean, you know, you don't have Anthony Schwartz in there. Uh, like, that, that's a speed guy, but he is, his production, he's a rookie. But it's like they just don't have that guy that really scares you at this point. Um, I think losing Harrison Bryant didn't help them tonight. But, but I'm pointing to, like, they're, they're most productive in, like, three tight end sets and I think that this offense um, has been slightly figured out and, uh, you know, teams are attacking it differently than last year when there was, you know, they were able to kind of do what they wanted to do and mystify defensive coordinators. That's not the case. The Ravens, I thought, diagnosed them really well tonight and did what the Ravens do. And yet there were more open Browns receivers tonight than Ravens receivers. Like, well, I'm not, but I'm just <laughs> they, saying they hit general, a couple of big plays. Baker Mayfield actually had about three or four great throws in this game, which is why I struggle with the whole injury thing of like, we put it all on the, on the injuries, but he had some gems and his biggest problems came on plays where he held the ball, where he did the pump fake thing on one of them. He just fumbled and dropped it. But on, on another one, he just seemed like he had an open receiver, does the pump holds it. And then bad things happen. And then on the flip side, it's like Lamar Jackson has a disastrous night, four interceptions, uh, a couple other missed throws that he had. And yet he, he reminds me a little bit of Brady in that, like, at, you know, like if you're an opponent of Lamar, all you're thinking is like, he still made that Lamar play where he backpedals back to the 35 and hits a freaking touchdown. He still had that play where he evades like four different tacklers to get out of a sack and make a completion. Like in the end, like he ends up winning these games with a couple winning plays. And you're just like, Oh, that that's Lamar. He might not win the MVP, but he's getting wins. It seems fair that like Lamar wouldn't be critiqued the same way that another Baker or another quarterback would for throwing four interceptions because you still know he's going to be a game changer down the stretch. And like the Ravens didn't change what they were doing because of any of that. And, they, and the defense ultimately bailed him out. I know he made a couple of big throws and showed that great escapability all night long, but he averaged four yards per carry on, I believe 12 attempts. He threw the ball up for grabs all game and the D just balled out in a huge spot, even right down to that final series, the Browns go four and out and they, get a fourth down stop where, you know, it's short of the sticks. They get the tackle and they walk off with a win where you throw four interceptions in prime time. That's a, that's a big win for the Ravens and the Browns. They got, they're looking for answers right now and it's getting late early. Mm. We might have to talk like MVP or something on Tuesday. I don't know. It's like Lamar in his last five games. I just scribbled this down. Forgive me if I'm wrong, has seven touchdowns, nine interceptions, and taken 17 sacks. It has not gone well over the last five years. Well, that's why everyone's, you know, (laughs) trying to figure that out. And that's why when Jonathan Taylor blew up last week, uh, and as he had over two months, that 
it was like, okay, uh, maybe we'll give it to a running back because the quarterback position this year doesn't have a guy that's really running away with this thing. Stafford, you thought might do it. It's not happening. Kyler Murray got hurt. Uh, Lamar Jackson now has gone sideways. Brady still makes sense as an option, obviously. But uh, yeah, that's a conversation perhaps for another show. Mark, how you doing, buddy? You seem like you're in, I feel like you're in a, in a somewhat healthy place with this Browns team where a loss like this isn't crushing you. In fact, you locked up the Ravens, so congratulations. Yes. Um, what a, what a you know, a minor solace. But, I mean, I think that we, you asked me a couple weeks ago in our network show. <laughs> Lock like, it up. Right. A joyous occasion. Like, who, are, who is this team? And I kind of just felt back then, like, they are what they are. Like, they're just, there's a lot of, there's more questions than answers. Um, they're frustrating to watch. I think they must be, they must be feeling extremely frustrated. And they aren't built right now to win games like this um, in their own division where Baltimore is. And, and that's who the Ravens have been against Cleveland forever. And I, like I said, I think that they, the Ravens always reveal Cleveland's um, character and I guess status maybe more than character sometimes too. And they revealed Cleveland's status tonight. And guess what? The uh, Browns hit their bye and then come back and play the Ravens again uh, in week 14. That will have huge consequences i mean let's get it together nfl the, the browns are doing this and so are the patriots wait what's with wrong with it i think it's kind of a neat little wrinkle it doesn't happen no, all the time i think that's so stupid. adapt bro i don't spread, love it but i spread it's, them out like it's all about adjustments instead of playing the same team twice in a row it's it's a different type of challenge for the coaching staff you know it's just different hey you know what else is different like uh this BTS group, biggest pop band in the world. Uh, Ricky, <laughs> jump on a second. So you were in between our early taping, and now you walk past, uh, you know, our commissary, and you heard the squealing of seventy thousand uh, girls, including, I would think, uh, Greg's own daughter. I thought I heard Ellis actually. <laughs> I heard yes, Ellis and voice. Emma, Go and it was right at the beginning. You know where they like play music and the lights come down, and you're like waiting for a group sure. to come up. And then I exciting think moment. I think there's seven of them. You could hear them come up, and I thought there was like an earthquake. Like our office building was shaking. It is out <laughs> of control over there. Greg, I, I, I went for a second just to get a feel of it too. It's definitely louder for BTS than any Rams or Chargers <laughs> ever. <laughs> Greg, you <laughs> you uh, you coughed up half your uh, paycheck for those tickets, and I think it's worth it. Uh, to to give your daughter that experience before we sign off and Mark you you feel free to log off you know you don't have to deal with this after a Browns loss but again no, you seem I'm like you're in a healthy listen. I'm yeah. just curious because I don't have a uh, a real working knowledge of BTS I asked Ricky just to pull up the three biggest BTS songs on Spotify and I want to know if if anyone's recognizing any of them or what we think of them let's just check in real quick. Okay, I know all three, but that could just be my. Okay, I know age. all three. There's only three in the English language, so I could even name them for you before you put it. Wrong. Up. There's more than that, Greg. Here's really? the first one. Wait a minute! Yeah, I think I, I believe I saw Chris Martin there. Am yeah, I that's wrong? a collab. Okay. Oh, collab. Chris. Okay, no, that one. Chris. What else? Is I know that newer, one. but it's it's skyrocketing. Yeah, I know to the top. that one. This disappointing, one, but yeah. Dan, I think you will know. Okay, collab. Okay. 
Okay. I'm not totally you familiar you, with that. I think you know that one. It's a nice little. I mean, I know the the source material. I don't. I didn't. I wasn't aware of their like ten inch remix version or whatever it is. <laughs> All right. Let me hear one more. Okay. And are these over like a billion? Uh, yeah, they're like Spotify? they're too big in numbers for me to pronounce. All right, so uh, one more. I'm curious. <laughs> Anybody else curious, or is this just me? I'm, I'm, no, no. Like this it's is good to be tapped nice. into I mean, the zeitgeist. I've heard all these songs, although the first one not so much, but yeah, the other ones, yeah. This one, Quite Greg plays all the time. Here we go. <laughs> I, I've heard that before. I've heard that. So one. they are the. So is that the is that guy the uh, the Styles the Harry Styles the Justin Timberlake of the group? He seemed to be there's a little I, more pop all, with him. They're all there's a lot, but there is one I think that is like the one. I think his name's John. Soon, John. I don't know. I don't even uh, want to say it. Greg. Wrong, but yeah. What's his yeah. name, Greg? We're just sounding so so old. Like, hmm, play, let's play some more of these. Uh, Greg, don't be self-conscious. BTS just embrace that we're... Greg, you like dry, rap. You're, in a, you're, you're, you're fine. You're in a yeah, you, you like rap. There's a thirst for knowledge here, Greg. Uh, you know, it's okay. I've, I've gotten all the knowledge I need of BTS over the last I year. just think it's funny <laughs> that you're like playing it cool because when we were coming back from doing the... Um, Sunday night show in London. We're walking back to the hotel. It's 2 a.m. We're getting ready to start the show. And Greg, you literally pumped your fist and you go, yes, Emika got the tickets for BTS. I was, because I like love my family. Yeah, it <laughs> I was know. so exciting. It was, it, it was an uphill battle. We didn't think she was going to be able to get it. And uh, it happened. Initially, the tickets, Greg, they were for him and Jezelnik and some other guy. And then <laughs> Emika decided otherwise. No, I was supposed to get the tickets, but then we were on the stage when they, when they went on sale. And I was like, I can't possibly pull this off. So. Uh, well, it all worked out, and I feel enlightened now. I feel like I'm, under, I'm surfing the zeitgeist right now uh, with all that uh, melody pumped into my... I feel like you should be on the way home, you know, see, yeah. and see what you think. I all think right. you should work in smooth like butter into your like daily <laughs> vernacular. Mm. All right. I'll work on that. All right. Good stuff. Good show. That's the flagship program. And remember, this these games all occurred after Thanksgiving, so they count. <laughs> okay? Keep that in mind when you put your head to pillow. You're either in a really good place emotionally because your team won. Like me, Jets, 1-0 in games that count. We're flying. Everybody else, not so hot. Well, half the league. That's the breakdown. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, they're ready to go. This is Dan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm. The old boss, Ricky Hollywood. Until Tuesday, heed the call.